Only praise indulge me again by standing up and reading Psalm 23. You won't find sweeter six verses in the Bible. So can't help you but to ask you to stand with me as we read uh, together this uh, beautiful, beautiful uh, poem from God himself. Psalm 23. If you are there, please say Amen. Psalm 23, a Psalm of David. Let's read together. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's be seated. Let's ask for the Lord's help. A Lord is already against me. Some of you look tired and it is hot and I have not started. But let's ask for the Lord's help. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, Lord, we are thankful, Lord God, for the sunshine you give us. We acknowledge, Lord God, this, Lord, makes us prone, God, even uh, to just uh, uh, zoom out, God, from even this important message. So I pray, Lord, that you help us to be attentive. And I pray, Lord, you give me a physical and spiritual energy. And I ask, Lord, that God, you, you protect my mouth from error. May you protect my mind from uh, distractions. May you protect my heart from pride. That this message, God, will be there for the good of your people. But ultimately, Jesus Christ will look great through the preaching and listening of this message. In his name alone we pray. And all God's people say... Last week we looked at Psalm 23, verses uh, 1 to 4, and today we're looking at uh, verses uh, 5 and uh, 6. And as we said, Psalm 23 is actually the best uh, known and most beloved of the Psalms. Charles Spurgeon called it the jewel of the Psalms. It is arguably the most famous and cherished scripture in the entire Bible. It is a John 3.16 of the New Testament. The old and the young know it. Seasoned saints, new Christians, and non-Christians are familiar with it. It is memorized by children, recited at weddings, read at sick beds, preached at funerals, and consulted in counseling. In fact, one man said this about this psalm. He says, if people repeat Psalm 23, seven times before they go to sleep each night, would rarely see an emotional breakdown. If people would repeat Psalm 23 seven times before they go to sleep each night, would rarely see an emotional breakdown. Why? I might add, there is one logical conclusion when you read Psalm 23 and it's simply this, God, you are too much. I am getting more than I deserve. But let me warn you. It is a song that is exclusive and can only be sung by few people. Psalm 23 
is exclusive testimony of those who have a personal relationship with the living God. Psalm 23 is called the shepherd's psalm because of the beautiful picture it paints of the shepherd's faithful oversight of his sheep. But there are actually two word pictures in Psalm 23. The one we looked at last week in verses 1 to 4, the Lord is described as a good shepherd. But in verses 5 to 6, the Lord is described as a gracious host. We see this five. The setting suddenly shifts. We are no longer sheep in God's flock. We are now guests in God's house. And the final verses of Psalm 23 testify to the Lord's generous and continued hospitality. So again, verse 5. David says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You are not my head of oil. My cup overflows. This verse describes three ways in which the Lord demonstrates his generous hospitality to those who trust in him. David says, now we're looking at the fact that God is a host for feast. Three things. There is a blessing of uh, victory. There is a blessing of joy. There's a blessing of abundance. He says, look at three things. If you want to see God's goodness to me, guess what? Look at my enemies. Look at my head. And look at my cup. Look at my enemies. David pictures himself as a guest. Imagine going to a guest. Maybe going to somebody as a guest. And then as you enter their house, you realize there are some familiar faces. And as you look at closer, you realize that these are unfriendly faces. These are actually your enemies. And I see your horses seated. Now you see your enemies. What do you do? Do you flee from your enemies? And perhaps maybe that will be your natural inclination. You want to flee from your enemies. But the horse says, you are my guest. You are my guest. So you don't make that decision again to flee. Why? You choose, rather, the hospitality of your host. This is what is happening in verse 5. David says, God prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. The custom of the ancient hospitality required that the host would take responsibility of his guest. So, literally, David, he seemed to be saying, if God is my host, what are enemies to me? It is as if David is now saying, my enemies are no longer my enemies, these are my host's enemies. David is now able to say, I'm, can, I can be able to sit and enjoy a meal in spite of my enemies. Why? Because he was confident that the Lord had his enemies under control. So there's a blessing of victory right there. The blessing of victory. Look at the blessings of joy. David doesn't just say, look at my enemies, but he says, look at my head. 
Verse 5 again. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. You know, you know sometimes when, when you are not used to things, you can overreact. I remember going somewhere, it was really cold. So the basic hospitality courtesy in those places is when you enter, the host actually removes your jacket. So this was a lady. I'm just entering. Can I have your coat? Hey, hey. I mean, I was not used to I mean, you, you know. But that is just basic hospitality courtesy. And as I said, it was cold. Unknown to me, outside was cold, but inside was warm. Because the homes, they are warm inside. So from freezing, someone offering me a jacket, with me saying no, literally, hey, but it's hot in here. Then I have to give a jacket. How about today? Usually what happens today? The basic hospitality is when you visit your family or friends or your acquaintances or you go to the village, they don't even ask you. You find that people are busy running up and down. Right? Have you noticed that? They don't even ask. Maybe you're already full. They'll start preparing a meal. That is what we do. That's the basic hospitality courtesy. But in the ancient days, the days when David was writing this, the custom was to wash the guests' feet from the dust and the dead of the roads and to anoint their heads with fragrant oil. So the washing of the feet was basic hygiene courtesy. But the anointing of the head with oil, that was actually extravagant. It was an act of generosity. In other words, the host was saying, you know what, I'm going to use this expensive oil to show you, to express how happy I am that you are here. David is saying to the Lord, you anoint my head with oil. It's as if David is saying, remember, this is the presence of his enemies. But David's eyes are not his enemies. David's eyes are on God. He said, God, you are something else. But oil in the Bible also refers to the Holy Spirit. This is a blessing of joy. Well, for those that know God through the Son, Jesus Christ, He gives them His Holy Spirit that indwells in them. And we are told in Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit is what? Joy. But there's a third blessing. We have looked at the blessing of victory in the presence of enemies. The blessing of joy. The head is anointed boy. But look at the blessing of abundance. It says, look at my cup. Look at my cup. When the scripture uses the word cup, metaphorically, as it does here, it is referring to one's lot in life. In other words, one's circumstances or even one's final destination. This is what the great shepherd himself said of himself in Matthew 26, verse 29. Here's what he said. Jesus prays in the garden of Gethsemane. My father... If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. One's cup 
refers to the circumstances of one's life. And David is saying of his circumstances, remember there is enemies, remember he's been pursued, remember he's always in danger. But David is saying, my cup overflows. Here again we see a picture of God's extravagant generosity towards David. If God gave David what he deserved, David's cup will be filled with God's righteous anger, God's wrath, God's judgment, God's condemnation. Instead, God took that cup away from David, but he did not leave it empty. He actually returned that cup to David with what? With his blessings, with goodness, mercy, compassion, and favor. And the Bible is saying, this cup was not half full. It was filled to the brim. You know what that means? Chijao will say what? Iku? You know what do you call it? I'll show you. You see? Yeah, like our hand is doing it. And David seemed to be saying, my cup is full, but God keeps pouring blessings until the cup overflowed. Brothers and sisters, this is the picture of the gospel. This is what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. He took the cup of our sins and has given us the cup of his righteousness. If that is you, you should be able to say, I am indeed full of abundance. Jesus Christ, we're told, he came John 10, right? To give us life. How? Life in abundance. Abundance. I know there's an objection. Newton, I hear what you're saying. But that's not where I live. Okay? Notice again Psalm 23. There's no hint of anxiety. Is there anxiety here? 23. I like what one commentator wrote about this. He said, the picture here in Psalm 23 verse 5 is one of cool assurance under pressure. Cool assurance under pressure. It's a witness to infinite resources in the worst of situations. David acknowledges the presence of enemies, but David is not just consumed with his enemies. He's saying, because God is with me, he's the one who is anointing with oil. Why does why is it so cool? Under pressure. David trusted God, didn't he? And this verse shows us a picture of the right relationship that was between the host, Yahweh God, and the guest, David. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, our relationship within Christ is supposed to mirror David in here. Our relationship should that be of complete trust in our Lord and depending on Him continually as He guides us, as He protects us, as He provides for us. The problem is, your problem and my problem, I hope now you realize I'm not just talking about sheep and shepherd, I'm talking about you and I. The problem is, we want to micromanage our lives. That's our problem. 
We say something like this, Lord, I will trust you as long as I understand and approve of how you are going to lead me through this crisis. But for David, he says, it is actually God that prepares the way. In fact, the word prepare there simply means to orchestrate, to ordain. David knew God ordained his circumstances, good and bad. You know, when you go down that road of reasoning, I'm willing to approve what you're doing, God, if you can all see the plan. We're actually making ourselves equal with God. It's as if we know what's best for our lives. But we're hoping that God can come up with a good idea to move us in the direction we want to go. But not with David. God is his shepherd. God is his uh, host. And he's able to say, there may be danger in my life. My circumstances are not uh, smooth. But you know what, David? He has this cool assurance because it is this shepherd of his who is preparing things in his life. Think about it. I bet some of you are natural planners. You want to know the plan. You, know, you want to know where you're going. And I'm not, talking, I'm not talking about the kind of planning where we have to know what we are doing at the seven, certain times of the day. I'm talking about how we have a tendency to try and orchestrate events in our lives to go a certain way so that what happens next is what we think should happen. We expect if you are married, our spouses to be in a certain way. Our children to receive the most disciplined child award every week. Our church to be a heaven where we don't have weak leadership and brothers and sisters who are always there for us. Basically, we are trying to tell God we think we should handle things in our lives. We should be the ones who must handle things. But David is saying, God is my host. I'm not going to worry about what is happening. I'm just going to trust in him. Brothers, there's good news and bad news in verse 5. What do you want first? The bad news is your trust in God will not keep you from crisis. Another way of putting it, as we said last week, your trust in God will not keep you from going through the valleys of life. Verse 5, your trust in God will not keep you from having haters. People criticize you. But the point here is, just because God is your shepherd does not mean he will not go take you to the valleys. But there's also good news. He's got you. You can sit on the table and relax. He's, he is the host. You are just a guest. Sit down. You know, I've referred to this book a couple of times here. But after his son died of the rare aging disease. Harold Kushner wrote the bestseller When Bad Things Happen to Good People. Who knows the book? A few of you. When Bad Things Happen to Good People. Unfortunately, Kushner gave the wrong answer to this important question. In fact, the question itself is a bit misleading. It implies that good people, whoever they are, should be exempt from experiencing bad things. But that's all my Bible says. 
Because Job 5, 7, you know what it says? Man is born for trouble as the sparks fly upward. Job 14, 1 says, Man who is born of the woman is full of death and full of trouble. Did you get that? Bad things don't just happen to bad people. Bad things happen to all people. Mark it down. God only had one son who lived in this world without sin. Jesus Christ. But this son of God went through suffering. God had prepared a table of suffering, of crisis, of calamities before him. God has no children who live in this world without suffering. Including Jesus. Point is, bad things happen, will happen to all people. But you need to understand that David understood this. This God is the one who seems through. He is his host. He can relax. He can trust God. Is this your experience? Are you able to say, I can trust God? Even when things don't make sense. Reminds me of the wife of the physicist, Albert Einstein. Was, asked, was once asked if she understood her husband's theory of relativity. She replied, no, I don't. But I know my husband. If he says it's true, you can trust him. Brothers, that's the way we should trust God. David did just that. But now David is going to take us to the mountaintop. And I believe the whole psalm has been leading us to this. Look with me in verse 6. It says, surely, surely, now that's a sign of confidence. Surely, there is no hint of doubt in David. Remember his enemies. But he says, surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Do you see that? This is too good to be true. No, God is so much too good not to be true. David is saying, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Goodness and mercy, these are twin attributes of God. Charles Spurgeon actually called them God's footmen that follow God's children in every day. But why do you need them both? Is goodness not enough, Jeff? Right, mercy. Which one did you? Why both? Why can't I just have goodness? Well, goodness takes care of your steps. Mercy takes care of your stumbles. You need both. You need goodness to help you stay on your feet and walk according to God's will. As you construct things, as you prepare things that may be unfamiliar, as they may be uncomfortable, you need God's goodness to say, God, I don't understand this. I may not, Lord feel comfortable with this path you're taking me. But you know what? I trust your goodness. But you also need mercy to help you when you're falling down. Mercy will pick you up and give you a new start. For how long will this goodness and this mercy be with me? I like this. It says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. In fact, this word follow is an interesting word. It is an idea of pursuit, chasing you. In other words, God will be chasing you with his goodness and with mercy. David believes, he says, goodness and mercy will be chasing after me. 
Don't you love that? All the days of my life, there is no break. All the days of my life. All eternity. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Wow. This, I believe, also is talking about the eternal security of God's children. If you are truly in Christ, this is what now Jesus Christ applied this picture of the good shepherd to himself. He is the good shepherd. And Lord, he says in John 10, 28, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hands. This goodness and mercy, brothers and sisters, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, is forever. It's forever. Reminds me of one man who was partially blind all of his life. But somewhere around the age of 18 or 20, he totally lost his sight. Life went on. He continued his theological studies and actually he was involved in pastoral ministry, but he never got married. Yet this man was engaged as a young man. When he became totally blind, his fiancée broke off their relationship. And it is said that this painful experience was the inspiration that led him to write the hymn. Oh love that will not let me go. I rest my weary soul in thee. I give thee back the life I owe. That in thine ocean depths Israel may richer, fuller be. What's the point? Because of God's love, his mercy, his goodness, he will never let you go. But do you believe that? This may be David's promise to the Lord that I will be with you, I will be in your house forever. But I want to believe this is rather a divine promise from the Lord. It may be that David is saying, this host has been so gracious, so good to me, I will never leave his house because David is promising I will never leave your house. I don't know if you have ever had some good landlords if you are renting and like, I'm going to say some mugas. <laughs> you have had those? Usually if you have those good ones, I'm going to say, but if you have those bad ones, you want to leave them, right? David seemed to say, God is such a gracious host, I'm not moving out. I will dwell in his house for how long? Forever. But again, at the same time, it could be because David had also realized that there are no other alternatives. Why would David want to dwell in God's house forever? Friends, there are no other alternatives. We looked at this earlier in the morning. If you think your job, your career will be able to secure you with security and ultimate satisfaction, you will be disappointed. You will be disappointed. There is no alternative in the world. There's nobody like Jesus. Stop looking and stop clinging to sheep, cheap shepherds who are not shepherds at all. Jesus satisfies. He's so satisfying that if you truly are in Jesus, you will not look elsewhere. Many times there are people who profess to know Jesus Christ, but look at their life and experience, they may not know him. Goodness and mercy. Is goodness and mercy chasing you? Maybe goodness and mercy is chasing you, but you know what? You are so blinded because you are so consumed with what is not going well that it is overshadowing the blessings God is already bestowing upon you. It's like a father is being blessed 
by a supporting wife, a career that is thriving, and is able to provide a decent living for his family. And he sees, all he sees is a rebellious child. He looks at that and thinks, oh, the world is crumbling. Can you all relate to that? We have breath. As far as I can see, all of us have got two feet, two eyes, probably two meals a day, change of clothing, sunshine, church. Yes, imperfect, but a church. Yet in all this, we think because of some uncomfortable single circumstances, we think God has not prepared a table for us. This kind of thinking means that we are saying, God, I think I can actually manage my life better. But we can rest in the assurance that this God is good like David did by simply trusting him even when some things don't make sense. You know, in the midst of uncertain and challenging times, it's difficult to remember certain times when God has proven to be faithful already. Look back to what God has done. Because perhaps David had a picture of the Israelites, Psalm 78. When they complain about God, turn with me Psalm 78 quickly. We were landing in the plane. Verse 18. They tested God in their heart by demanding the food they craved. They spoke against God saying, Can God spread a table in the wilderness? Can God spread a table in the wilderness? Can He do that? Can God pre- prepare a table for us? Can God provide for us? What did God do just a few days ago? He allowed them to cross on the Red Sea as on what? Dry ground. Right? And what happened after that? The enemies were sold the same water. Now they are in the wilderness. They are saying, can God do this? What did he do? Verse 20. He struck the rock so that water gushed out and streams overflowed. He provided water. What's the next question? Can you also give us bread? Do you see that? Can you provide meat also? Is that what some of us are sitting here? God has been good to us. He has taken us through school. You're on, ah, but will you do this for me? You fill the blanks. Time is passing. Can you still do this for me? David was assured that God, since God has got him, he's not going to worry about a thing. Reminds me of the little boy who was asked to recite Psalm 23 in the class. He worked weeks and weeks and weeks reciting Psalm 23. And then he was going to now recite it in the presence of uh, his teachers and his schoolmates. And the boy froze on stage. He was nervous. He forgot all that he did for the whole week. His mom said, You can do this. You can do this. You can do this. The boy Remember just one line in the psalm. It said, the Lord is my shepherd. I ain't going to worry about a thing. <laughs> but that should be our attitude. Shouldn't it be? From this psalm. If the Lord is your shepherd, let's not worry about a thing. 
He prepares the table. You know, whatever you go through, God has ordained that. God has prepared that. As hard as this is, even for me, last night I was talking to Vanessa. I was talking to my lawyers who were talking to the prosecution team and they said, they want to change my, my charge to a road traffic offense. And then here's the kicker. They said they can't guarantee that I will not get a custodial sentence. I think you know what is, it, what is that. Eh? In other words, the judge cannot guarantee that I cannot be sentenced because of the loss of life. And Panis and I were talking about this. And I said, whatever God has prepared, He will take us through it. If He be nobody's shepherd, He's a shepherd to me. He cares for me, watches over me, and preserves me. Can you say the same? Is He your shepherd? If he's not, then I plead with you to repent of your sins. Run to the cross. Put your faith in Jesus for salvation. Flee from the holy wrath of God. And you discover more and more each day that the Lord is worthy of your trust. Psalm 23 testifies that the fact that the Lord watches over, walks with, and welcomes in those who trust in him. Flee to Jesus. He is a good shepherd. But because he is your shepherd, it does not mean he will spare you from the valleys. The good news is he has promised he will be with you till the end of the age. That was David's testimony. I pray it will be your testimony. Father, I pray that you may cement these truths in the depths of our hearts. That the confidence that David had, may this be our confidence. The Lord, you are the one who is orchestrating the events in our life, both pleasant and unpleasant. I pray, Father God, that when we are faced to God with difficult times, may we be reminded, God, these are times where to make Jesus shine by embracing, Lord, the valleys that you call us to, by allowing you to work in us so that you can work through us. We thank you, Lord God, for all that you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.